Hello, my name is Ronnie Edwards and I'm the director of Pomozzi Creatives. Thank you for joining me on the Everyday Inspirational Women podcast. I'll be spending time with and learning from women and girls that I personally find inspiring. You can nominate any woman or girl from Portsmouth that you find inspiring so we can consider them for the very first Inspirational Women of Portsmouth Award happening on the 7th of March for International Women's Day. Details about this exciting event and how you can nominate anyone are available on all our Pomodzi Creatives social media platforms. So, back to this podcast. Each one of us carries this incredible energy that can encourage and inspire. I really hope that you find a few inspirational nuggets from some of these women. Enjoy. So I'm here with the very fabulous Joe Preston. Hello, Joe. Hi, Ronnie. Thanks for joining us. Um, so as you know, I've kind of uh, cornered lots of people I know and said, I find you inspiring. Please, can you talk to me about it? And you've all unwittingly gone, yes, yeah, sure. And then I've brought out a microphone. <laughs> so you're one of the people I find really inspiring. Um, Thank you. I think the way you juggle uh, being a mum and the really high um, expectations that are on you in terms of your career and being a wife, mm. I think it's pretty amazing and really inspiring. And that's why I've asked you um, to be on this podcast. Would you mind just telling us about, about, about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, I am a scientist, hence the doctor. Um, I'm a doctor in marine biology and uh, sort of molecular evolution, really. And um, I'm a lecturer at the University of Portsmouth and the course leader for marine biology degree. Um, but so I've had over the last 20 odd years, I've been doing various stages of education, mm. degrees, masters, PhD. Um, in marine biology, um, took a break to have children and back, went back to work. Um, and basically, I study the marine environment, and it is my passion to understand it so that we can better conserve and protect it. And you've been on tele, yes. haven't you? Yes, I have. Once, I yeah. yeah. So, so what I do at the moment is my main research is looking at the um, native oyster, Ostreagulus, and this species has its habitat has been pretty much globally become globally extinct so 85 percent of all um oyster reefs are now extinct globally wow 85 percent. 85 percent and those that remain are in poor condition and so this is a whole ecosystem that's the temperate like the non-tropical version of coral reefs right. and we have just extracted it and especially across europe is that consuming it yeah overfishing right. destroyed the habitat taking them out um, 1886, 700 million oysters were consumed in London alone. Um, so we've just sort of gone across the seabed mm. and dredged this ecosystem out. Wow. And, uh, and fish stocks rely on it. It purifies the water. Culturally, it's significant, all these things. And so I, what I'm involved in at the moment is this big project to restore the native oyster to the Solent mm. around Portsmouth. Yeah. And our plan is to put 5 million oysters back into the Solent. That's uh, incredible by 2022 but what I actually really love and 
that I take inspiration from is um, I work with a network, um, European network, and we're trying to do it on a European scale. So we founded this Native Oyster Restoration Alliance um, last year, and we're trying to just join up all the different thinkings and research okay. and restoration projects across Europe. And I, it excites me because it's local. Yeah. It's got... So through the university. Yeah, through the university. So I, through the university, sort of, um, obviously, I, I do my research out of there. I've got a PhD student. I've got master's students working on it. I, I lecture the students about it as an example of applied marine conservation in the temperate environment. Um, but I work outside of the university with the Blue Marine Foundation and the Nature Conservancy, which is a global um, conservancy organisation, and sort of German and um, um, institutions from the Netherlands. and. And basically, we, we meet up and try to develop best practice. I work with a, a Zoological Society of London, okay. me and a uh, partner, Alison Debney. We've just um, employed someone to be a UK network coordinator for three years um, to oversee the different projects going across the UK. That's and incredible. And in, your, is that in your spare time? <laughs> yes, my, but so, so that's, that's um, a lot. Uh, apart from the lecturing. Lecturing and the administration, <laughs> and, which is sort of... The publications that need to happen. Yeah, publications mm -hmm. that need to happen and, and all those other things too. Funding that you need to get, you, to, you know, no, you have to get the money to yeah. do this. I didn't know about um, uh, the fun fact of them being able to purify the water. Yeah, yeah, so that's what they do. They just sit and filter the water and consume the um, oh, algae therein. Therefore, like around here, you've got loads of, the water's often quite green mm. or turbid. And uh, that's because of all the nutrients that run off from um, wastewater, um, agriculture. Okay. It's all eutrophic, all the waters around here are eutrophic because they don't have the ecosystems in them that used to be there to maintain water quality. So here being Portsmouth. Portsmouth so Solent, Portsmouth. yeah. And, uh, and it used to be one of the biggest um, fisheries in Europe and one of the biggest sort of um, bases and sort of locations for oysters in, in the UK. And you are going to address that? Yeah, it's very exciting. I love it. Fantastic. And what would you say drives you um, to get all that done? So I think from a very young age, I had such a strong passion and love for the natural environment. I see so much beauty in it. I get sanctuary from it. I've always loved the sea. I think it's sort of something that sometimes you often talk to marine biologists. Mm. Um, this connection with the sea is sort of just in your bones, in your blood. Mm. And um, I find it hugely spiritual. Um, I think it goes back to our evolutionary history. And for me, you've got one life on this planet. And I sort of think, run while you can. Yeah. And um, for me, I want to spend my time... One, I love science and I love discovering new things for the first time. That really excites me. That drives me. I want to be the first person to discover a species or find something out new or, yeah. or, or push a project forward. So all that excites me as a person. Sure. I love the sort of the depth and, and, uh, of, of, of academia and knowledge acquisition and learning. But really, for me, it has to be applied. It has to be something that will make a difference to our natural environment and also culturally and, and socially. Oh, and so that's, I like applied science and I, that's why conservation and changing policy and informing things um, like this project really, really mm. sort of um, lights my fire, really sort of comes together and combines something that Around I'm passionate about. And there's, there's a lot in, in that, like just, you just unpacked 
lots of projects within projects. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that you do, as yeah. well as the lecturing, yeah. as well as the... as. Uh, um, Working in academia, you had to do the publications, I suppose. Yeah, well. yeah, publish or perish. Publish or perish. That's a frightening <laughs> saying. It is, that, is and it's coined true. a lot. Is yeah, it is, it is, publish or perish. Um, but then you have these other, um, in hyphens, identities. How do you balance all that? So, how do you practice looking after Joe within that? Um, it's, I, I find it challenging to balance it because, like, parts of my personality that make me want to sort of drive forward mm. and excel and achieve and mm. discover mm. are sometimes slightly at odds with my need to rest sure. and nurture. Sure. Um, so I have to be mindful of that. You know, I, I have a tendency to take too much on, but at the same time, I like getting stuff done. <laughs> and so sometimes is, is you it, sort of have to go big or go home. Yeah. So My slight challenge is that I like, and I like them done a certain way and yeah. that whole thing of handing it over to someone doesn't always feel like a progressive thing which is terrible isn't it it's, it's um like but it is it's letting go of stuff yeah. you know yeah. so yeah. I, I what I think works really well is like my my priority have always been my children mm. and my family I made a decision very early on was I going to wait to have children and possibly sacrifice a scientific career or get my scientific career to a more stable place and wait to have children and possibly encounter problems with conceiving. And I made a very clear decision that mm. I could, the scientific career could go hang. I sort of thought, I'm sort of, I'll be able to find a job doing something somewhere that's, yeah. um, you know, I've, I've never really had a problem getting jobs and it might not yeah. be, it might be a challenge to find something that fulfills me in the same way, but I can't risk not having children for me personally. So. Sure. So, and luckily, I, you know, I might not have been able to have children at that point, but luckily I did. So it, that was a really clear decision for me. So when it was hard to get back into science a bit, it didn't feel awful or bad because I knew I'd made the right decision for me. That was, that was the cost I was willing to pay to start a family at the age I did. So, so I think that's a very clear decision I made. Um, but I was really lucky to have the opportunity to get back into science because that's the difficult thing for women, getting back into academia. Okay after having a break from children. Okay. That's where the leaky pipeline is. That's where they all fall and out. Why would you say that? Is that, is that um, a confidence thing or opportunities? It's just because or? trying to... Like, the age you are having kids, about yeah. to have kids, yeah. um, early 30s, late 20s, is where you've done your PhD, maybe your first postdoc, and you are meant to be churning out the papers, networking, going around the world, okay. going conferences. Okay. None of that is compatible with sitting in your pyjamas with your boobs out breastfeeding, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it's almost like the two worlds yeah. are almost entirely incompatible. Yeah. And so women have a break, yeah. and then when they try and then they come to come back in, they're not competitive because their publication record is less. Yeah. That, that time when you're tentative, your educator tend to be having children is, is where you're hothouse in your career. Um, so, so, so how did you... Because you're achieving an incredible amount, and you've managed to do that. You've managed to balance... Having yeah. children at a very important, seemingly, time yeah. of your career. Well, I think um, that's where life throws you curveball sometimes. So in 2009, when my first child was four, and I think Credence was, you know, no, no, two and a half, no. So I, I had, there was, I had a, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, or 18-month-old, sort of around. And uh, um, my husband was made redundant. He was the main breadwinner. 
And um, it was when there was a big crash in 2008-9. He worked on radio, commercial radio. He fell out the bottom of them because there no one paid for advertising. So there was no jobs. He got made redundant. We had our own house. Mm. And there was just no jobs out there for him. And it was a race to keep a roof off over our, um, our heads. And so... Um, it was a race to find a job. And so I started applying for jobs that I wouldn't have otherwise applied for at that stage in my life because I, I wanted to... I, my aim was to stay at home with the kids full-time. Um, and that become... But then then, then I realised, like, there's many ways to mother, and right now the way I need to mother is to provide. Sure. And that was, that was such a strong instinct in me. Yeah. And so I just thought, right, I'll apply for any job. Because I was applying at that point to get funding to go back into academia part-time, and I'd started um, writing a grant right. with someone at the University of Portsmouth. And then this job came up as a postdoc or research fellow working on the uh, Mary Rose, looking at iron and sulfur oxidizing bacteria. Sure. And uh, I applied for another job and I didn't get that, but they really thought, they really liked me in the interview in terms of the molecular biology skills I had. And they said, OK, we haven't got this job, but we've just got someone who's just left very suddenly. We need to fill this post. Would be interested in doing this research fellow post instead? OK. And I was like, right. yes, <laughs> even though I had <laughs> Do that. no mo microbiology skills whatsoever. I just thought, I'm sure I could learn those. Yeah. I know I can do the molecular stuff. I'll just start with those and learn the make other it stuff. Make it. Yeah, like I'm, <laughs> I'm good at learning. <laughs> you know, that's where I'm sort of at yeah. home. Thank you for that. So that's in, OK. In, in all of that... Um, just wondering, has there been, and I'm sure this changes per season, um, someone who really inspired you through it all? Is there, is there someone that you could identify as an inspirational person? Um, I think there, there have been several people that have been really inspiring for me. I mean, sort of on, a, I think I've said before about Rachel Carson, who sort of founded the environmental movement. She, she inspired yeah. me. But on a, like a personal level, I have met so many amazing women in science mm. who um, just do it their way. They sort of throw the rule book and they do it their way. There's a, there's a woman called Nicole Webster, and she's Australian. She works for the um, Australian Institute of Marine Sciences. She is phenomenal. Her publication output, I could never even get close to. She's got three kids. And, uh, and she sort of, because I wasn't around many women who were trying to do what I was doing... Mm. She was so refreshing because she just thought, you know, she understood my drive to be the best mother I can and, and nurture yeah. and all those things. And yeah. she also understood my, my drive to just make a difference and that love of marine biology and yeah. love of marine conservation. And she was so full of energy and she just had that like, fuck what they think, Joe. <laughs> you know, come on. Yeah. Yeah. You know what you want to yeah. do. You've got your conscience. Yeah. Live within that. Act yeah. within that. Yeah. And rewrite it. Yeah. Put the boundaries in where you need to put the boundaries in and then and just sort of rewrite the rule book for yourself. And mm. so that I found was amazing. And she was also, unlike many people in academia, can be quite secretive and highly competitive. Right. She was so open and collaborative and yet she hadn't been walked over she had actually been hugely successful with that model of oh, working. And I was like, that is how I want to do it. Because yeah. so many people around me, the role model and the sort of working models of how to succeed in academia, I said, I thought, I can't fit that. So because it's a secrecy because they don't want their... 
is it an intellectual property thing? Yeah, ideas stolen or not 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 being too sherry sherry, you know, right. not playing so well with others, all those sort of things that <laughs> okay. she was like, no, like you know, yeah, let's collaborate, let's and do she this. Made it work. And, and, she she, made it work. and actually, as a result of that, she's been enormously successful. Mm-hmm. She had an open transparency and um, wasn't fearful of other people and promoted collaboration. And I was like, that's how I want to do it. Yeah. And so she was a huge... And then there's other... There's a woman, Bernadette Pagoda, who I work with. She's sort of my, my equivalent in Germany's equivalent of um, natural England. Um, I can't pronounce what it is. And again, it's finding women. She's got kids and she sort of balances the two. Yeah. Finding other women that are trying to do the same thing as me, and yeah. so therefore you don't feel so alone, yeah. and you can talk really honestly in a way that they will yeah. understand. So I, that's how that's where I found inspiration. You know, male scientists inspire me too, but in yeah. terms of my my challenge in terms of yeah. balancing yeah. Um, my maternal drives and yeah. my and that and parenting and mothering, it's mostly been females. So would you say that would be one of the because. What I, I'm a bit nosy like this. I, I, I love hearing about things that my interviews have found um, challenging and mm. have managed to overcome and negotiate in their life adventure journey, yeah. whatever that may be. Would you say that maybe that's one of them? Is, is that whole thing of being a woman working in... Yeah. Um, you, you coined it really well earlier on. Yeah, so I think, um, although Marine Bardi, there's... There's many more women in there. Mm. I often am still the only woman in the room. Mm. And sometimes I just found that tiring for a while. But basically, academia um, is a made or constructed by men for men, only because it's an institution that's constructed that only a time when men went to university and went through. So the framework within which I work is actually very masculine. Right. It's highly Darwinian. It's highly competitive. Um, many academics are on the spectrum or falling off the edge of it. You know, there's um, there's ego. There's various things at play. So actually, it can be an enormously enormously harsh environment. Okay. If you present a work at a conference and someone yeah. disagrees with you, they will take you down in front of those a thousand people. You know, yeah. there is no there is no um, grace. Well, <laughs> it's not that there's no so grace. It's just like it's about the search for truth, and there's oh, also, sure, yeah, but there's also all that sort of yeah. alpha male thing going on. It happens quite a lot. Okay. Um, there is far more. There is sexism inherent in it, yeah. like the women just fall by the wayside. Most of the professors are men, all that sort of thing. So there are those things that I've had to deal with, mm. and lots of challenges. Suddenly, you think you know, you feel like you are battling a lot, mm. and the reason why I found Nicole Webster so inspirational because I didn't want to be always be battling mm. I want to recreate the culture and do academia academia um, in a way that suits me that is not jarring against yeah. my fundamental values yeah. saying that I have had to grow some in terms of like you know you won't yeah and also you just have to say to people when they shouting at you that it's not your place to do this and various other things and there's sometimes some really hot headed interactions I just take my time and I go back and go hi we need to chat about what happened the other day and we chat about it and I just say just so you know it's not acceptable for you to talk like that to me yeah I'm not going to make an official complaint right now but if you do it again I will and I suppose that 
they won't necessarily um, be expecting such a no. balance. They won't expect such <laughs> no, a balance. And, and also say things like, I'm really interested in your response um, um, you know, because I was yeah. trying to create this open research culture and you got really angry and started slamming your hand on the table. Do you have a problem with me personally or do you think what I was trying to achieve wasn't appropriate? Yeah. I just want to unpick your reaction because yeah. to me, one, it was very intimidating, scary and unpleasant, but also I'm also quite confused by it. Can we chat it through? Yeah. And you can see them, they want to reverse out of the room at high speed because they do not like having this discussion. They've never had to have that often before. No one's confronted them in a way that's reasonable yeah an adult and boundary, but also um, not taking the intimidation. Yeah. And actually, I have through that, through that, I've now got really good relationships with the people that yeah. were trying to dominate, yeah. bully or be aggressive because it had worked before, you know, and or it's just sort of the way that it's done and accepted. And I thought, actually, I'm not going to accept this. I want to create a different way of working yeah. and actually get into a place of, and also a bit of accountability about why, and also just thinking, actually, it's not going to work. <laughs> You're not going to intimidate me because yeah. I feel this is a place for me and I want to make it a place that I flourish yeah. and not a place that's, you know, um, I am diminished and stressed because of old, archaic structures because I think it could be an, it's an amazing place for women in so many ways because you have autonomy, you have independence, you have flexibility... Um, all those things are fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's just that sometimes the culture can be a bit... And that's shifting, you know. Um, um, but in most of the cases, you know, uh, I've had so much fun with, you know, within that framework, you know. Yeah. And um, I've met so exceptionally brilliant and entertaining people, both yeah. men, and w men and women, you know, so... Oh, Fantastic. Joe, I'm going to uh, hunt you down next year and follow up on the Oyster Project yes. on a follow-up pod, um, podcast because that's fascinating. And I feel like there's so much more I'd love to hear about, um, but I'm starving. Yes, let's have some lunch. <laughs> Thank you for your time. My pleasure.